the volume. This session is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. They're America's number one sportsbook for a reason, y'all. It's so easy to use. It's safe and secure. That's one of the main things for me. I don't want any BS. I love that there's no BS with FanDuel. Plus, you get your winnings fast. Now winnings are delivered in as quick as two hours. Plus, it's super fun to combine multiple bets from the same game into a same game parlay. It's awesome. So if you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with the promo code Renee, that's R-E-N-E-E, so that they know that I sent you. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, Wyoming, or West Virginia. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona 18887897777 or visit ccpg.org/chat for Connecticut 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com/rg for Colorado, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, New Jersey, Pennsylvania and Virginia 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY for New York Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789 and 1-800-522-4700 for Wyoming. Visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. Hey guys, welcome to the best of the sessions. What we have done is we've combined the best of Tuesday's episode and Thursday's episode, mashed them together to give you a beautiful little audio gift for your ear holes. We have some awesome, awesome guests on the show. Cannot thank people enough for taking the time to, to come hang out with me. Give me a little bit of their time. We give you a little bit of that. We all get to hang out and enjoy it, learn a little bit about each other. Um, so it's really cool to mash these all together and you guys can get those little abbreviated highlights of both of the interviews throughout the week. Also, of course, if you want to listen to the full lengths, you can do that. They all exist. Uh, just make sure to check out all things from the Volume Podcast Network. Like, subscribe, turn on those notifications, all that good stuff. But let's get into it. Here's the best of the sessions. I am so excited to have you back on the show. But for me, it's the first go because I was not I was, you know, I was overseeing the first one when the amazing Lita was interviewing you. But now I get to do it. Well, I have to thank you because not only have you given me the chance to speak with the lovely Lita, Amy Dumas. We got to go river tubing after we did the interview. I know. It was incredible. It was a really, it was a perfect afternoon of confusing proportions. You know, like when you're a kid, you're like, one day you're going to wake up and you're river tubing with Lita. (laughs) You're like, no way. But I was, it was incredible. And also I did not know that you were overseeing. So like when we got to the ending, you were like, that was great. I was like, I'm glad I didn't know you were here. I didn't know we had the the, the watch over of what was going on, but you know, it makes sense. You want to hear what's going on your show. The thing is, I obviously full wholeheartedly trust her. I trust you. I trust everybody. I felt like that was on me where I was like, I guess I should be here. Right. <laughs> Do the old managerial duty. Like, I guess my name's in the show. I guess I, I, I didn't have the baby yet at that point. So it was OK for me to. to you had a little more time then. Yeah. The baby was with you. But now, I mean, you're with the baby. That has to be. Incredible. You're coming up on what, like about a year here? She just hit a year yesterday. Holy moly. Yesterday was a year. Thank you. I know it's really crazy. Like I even feel like this morning, like looking at her, I'm like, you're like a kid. 
I mean, she's she's a year, but it's different than when they're like this little like larva being into like now she's like she's fucking with it. She's so cool. Yeah. I mean, everybody's baby is kind of a swaddling cloth with a face for a while. But now you get to sort of see the mannerisms come out. And I'm sure there's a lot more exploration going on. Dangerous territory is just around the corner. She definitely has like both of our spirits, which could be like kind of combustible, I feel. So it's very cute right now, but I'm sure shit's going to hit the fan once she's like really up and moving and like, oh God. Well, I see, I found my calling this year as a gay uncle because my partner's sister had a baby. So I get to come in, I play with the baby, I hold the baby. And then when the baby's done with it, I kind of hand the baby back over, you know? That's the sweet spot to be in for sure. It's very nice. I mean, I love having my own baby, of course. But yeah, it's nice to just be like, bye. Oh, I'm going to go sleep in now. I can stay up late. Yeah, this baby isn't fun anymore for <laughs> yeah. me. Yeah. Um, wow. Okay, so it's been a year since you've been on the show. And a lot has happened for you in this last year. I mean, holy shit. Are you exhausted? You are doing it all. I've tried to find my moments of like, I'm going to collapse on the couch and admitting to myself, like sometimes a Tuesday is sort of like a Sunday. Now, today we are recording on a Tuesday, so it's not. But last Tuesday was actually my birthday and I had to do nothing except for sit around the house. My partner's been working from home for a while. So I do have the time during the week of like, hey, we get four full days and nights together or whatever it may be. And then I'm back on the road. So I try to look even busier than I am sometimes. But then I also sometimes have to go, you don't have to do everything because I really have been doing a lot. But luckily, like this weekend, I went back to River City Wrestling Con, which I'd been to two years before and the year before. And being reminded that I was less bloody and less cut up and um, a little less tired this year was kind of a nice thing when people were seeing me. They said, last year you were a mess. And I was like, I was a mess. I'm glad I'm less of a mess this year. Do you find it hard to like not do all of the things like once you're going because you are your own machine? That's hard. It is hard. And sort of the way I've managed to live off of being Effie, I have to have a lot of different segments of Effie that are producing funds for the system. I always joke that everybody, you know, pick the way you want to pay off the deficit. We're fighting against having money. I have to stay busy to a certain point. But it is also about kind of reflecting on like, hey, do I need to bump, you know, 20 times this month or can I bump 10 times and then parlay that out into other things? I've had to sort of find a position where there's not a polite way to say it, but like, I don't have anything to prove to anyone anymore. Uh, I prove to myself and I prove to the people who come to see me that I can do the job, but I'm not going out and saying like, I have to complicate this or if I don't do this, someone will think less of me. It's sort of picking and choosing the best parts of what I want to do versus I feel obligated to have to be a part of every single thing if it's wrestling related bumps aside even on like the business side of things of like we've got to push out the social media we've got events that need to be promoting like that's the stuff that i don't know that other people understand how much work it is to really keep those wheels spinning outside of just seeing the show that happens in the ring the older i get the more i realize that the desire to not be told what to do and the desire to have a direct deposit hit every two weeks there there's like a there's a real friction and balance yes. to it yeah. and i've yeah. really i've tried to segment the two sides of effie like a restaurant i have a back of house effie who's the cook in the back covered in tattoos smoking cigarettes going she'll take it with ranch because i'm not remaking this thing <laughs> and then there's front of house effie which is dressed up and seating you and making sure your meal is good and checking in on you and to be both of those can be a little daunting. So some of those back of house tasks, I have found that there are other people who can do them better than me. And if I'm willing to pay a little bit of money out 
to these people that I know that I trust to help me out with this stuff, it's better off. I think back to when my dad taught me how to change oil. Uh, he said, some people are good at changing oil. You should pay them to do it. And that mentality of like pay the people who are better at things is it, it seems like it's eating into my pocket. For instance, I've been working with Noviria Management on the West Coast. Uh, Sydney there has helped me with merchandising. They've helped us set up tag team meet and greets at toy stores with me and Alley Catch. And having someone to do that, I don't feel like I have to be, you know, the front of the store and doing the signings and doing the meet and greets. It's a very much more enjoyable thing for the fans and for me, because if you've come up to me at a table and it's just me, it's me very sweaty after a match going, I don't know if I have an XL, let me dig. And then I go under the table for 30 seconds. It's not efficient for anyone. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to piece back those parts of Effie while like, I mean, I'm independent. It's just me. So any help I can get, I have to sort of make sure it's within my budget and reason. But the growth, the growth of letting other people help me. I've learned that this year. What a learning curve. That's something I still feel like I wrap my head around. I'm like, I can do it. I can do everything. No problem. And then, yeah, you're under the table digging for things for an hour when somebody else could have just maybe nicely organized it and knew exactly where the things were. And you pay them X amount to do that. Delegate the duties. Right. And I and the problem has been hey, oh, Effie, you don't like to ask for help. That's part of it. But then the other part is, I don't know if I can explain to you exactly what I need help with. And by the time I'm done giving this lesson, I may as well have just done the thing myself versus teaching you everything. You know, here's the voice you need to post on Instagram. And that's not something you can explain to people. The voice is me going, ooh, you can't. That's like having children too. You're like, never mind, I'll do it myself. It's just easier. Can you clean up the toys? (laughs) Don't just put them under the bed. (laughs) Don't give me a baby with a dirty diaper. There's rules around here. Good Lord. That's a good rule. Honestly, how was sort of the... The lull and then boom of indie wrestling since the pandemic. I think what's been so confusing is like, I quit my job in February of 2020. Very valiantly, it was like, I can do this. I'm making so much money. And then obviously the pandemic hit and I was already set up to move to Atlanta. I was already set up to not have a job and just be out of this city. So the lull for me was like, if I feel a lull, I'm going to jump on anything I can. And someone was joking during the pandemic. They were like, as long as you know MS Paint and have some money, Effie will come do your show. Like they've seen me on posters where they're like artistic HD, beautiful event posters. And then there's the posters where you're like, this is a town you've never heard of in Alabama. Please come out and look. I'll take all of them. And so coming out of the pandemic and having a little bit more of a choice with as much wrestling as going on, it is nice to have a little bit of your, your legs under you of knowing what you want to do and knowing what you're comfortable doing as a performer. But during that pandemic time, it was like, if I felt the lull, I need to be doing something else. And I was doing everything from like, I'll be in your short film if you pay me and fly me out. I'll do three matches in a day if I can show up and do it. And then obviously getting on Twitch has been a game changer because every week I get to watch wrestling. I watch more wrestling than I've ever watched before of all types, but I'm getting people who are coming to me at live shows going, Either we found you from Twitch or even better, we found all of these wrestlers on the show from your show on Twitch. We found out about so many new talents and we had to come out and see it. I think we often forget in the middle of wrestling that like we're a niche of a niche of a niche. The more people we can get involved in any way is awesome. And so while I'm sitting around bored, we can't leave our house. We're in lockdown. I'm like, I know all of these wrestlers. All these matches are out there. I have a voice where I'm understanding from a personal level these people I've been around. Let's show them to everybody. And it's it's worked out really well. And it's kept me busy and uh, on top of the scene, if you will. What are some of the things that you, like the things and people that you discovered while watching all of these different indie events and promotions and things that maybe you wouldn't have stumbled across otherwise? 
Okay, so immediately what comes to mind is you're Canadian, so this is exciting. Give it to me. Uh, there's a Canadian Backyard Wrestling Federation. They seem to perform between apartments or in any field they can find. But there's one performer in particular called Miniac, and she is like a powerhouse, hardcore hoss. And these matches aren't taking place with fans. They're taking place outdoors. There's weapons. They're in between buildings. There's like children watching from the side of the building. And to see the way they tell the story and the way they kind of take over wrestling, you don't have the fans cheering over it. I can hear everything you're saying. I can hear everything going on. So like when Maniac's like, I'm going to get a stop sign and bash it against your head. You're like, I bet she will. And those matches that I started including is kind of like, here's the sillier side of wrestling. Fans were coming back every week going like, where's a new Maniac match? Where's a new hardcore match? And so hopefully, hopefully she's still active and we can, now that things are restricting, get her to come be hardcore for all these. Bring people. baby down. Oh, you know, Montreal always does things like just that like little left of center that works perfectly for Montreal and for what that is. And the people that get that fucking love it. And there's just something really cool and quirky about everything that comes out of Montreal, I find. There's also a spirit to them, too, that's like this French Canadian thing where it's like, yeah, it's weird. Yeah, we love it. You should, too. And why don't you like what's wrong with you? Like, you think this is weird? This isn't weird. You're weird. And that's sort of like casual, like, I can't believe you think this is weird. There's a confidence to that, that like you should have about all the weird things you like. I feel like that kind of just perfectly summed up Sami Zayn, who like when you meet him and you're talking to him and you're like the things that he is into and the way he passionately talks about them is like, oh, shit, you're right. I guess I should be. Of into course, thing we that all you're should love about. that. Of course. It's beautiful. And it's I think there's something about being able to back up why you like something. Not that you should have to. But if people want to put you in that corner, I do feel like the people of Montreal are like, here's the reasons why this works. And I'm sorry, you're not smart enough to understand. It. <laughs> yeah, you're not educated enough. You you wouldn't understand if you don't understand it, then hit the bricks. Um, What else keeps you inspired? What else are you watching and listening to reading? What like? Do you change it up a lot or do you kind of stick to I'm like a 90s kid. I kind of stick to the same shit that I know as I try to like branch. I'm like, wait, what else is happening in the world? Do you keep your finger on the pulse? I think I'm addicted to information. And the more I've come to like terms with that is it's helped me know that it's okay if I want to watch weird documentaries, if I want to watch movies that are very strange, if I want to go back and watch a bunch of like 30 slapstick, you know, that would have been uh, silent film stuff. All of this stuff is fine because in the end, and this is going to sound really big brain, everything as a reference and every piece of information, it's going to help me communicate with someone. And I'm a believer that like when I was growing up, I don't think I had great teachers a lot of the time. Uh, and this is like a little bit like you should teach me because, you know, but I think if you're a good teacher, there shouldn't have to be a lot of extra explanation. And so by having every part of information and everything I can reference to, no matter what kind of person I'm talking to, I think that I can be read much easier and, and be much more accessible when I'm trying to explain something to someone versus just going like, here's the quadratic formula. Instead, I can find some strange way to, to ease it in or, or make it feel like, hey, this has to do with something you're interested in too. I will watch, see, go to anything. I mean, I'm historically like I'll land at a show early and you'll find me at an art museum. Like if I don't have to be at the venue, I'm not going to be there. I'll be around town. Uh, Columbus, Ohio. I had all day in Columbus, Ohio, and I got to go to the art museum. I got to see some old Lichtenstein works before he was even doing the heavy pop art. 
And then I use my AMC Stubbs rewards. This is not an advertisement, but I can go see three movies a week. So when I have this extra time, even if it's not a good movie, it's not really costing me anything. So I went and saw a movie and like it. Yeah, sometimes it's a nap space for me. But if I'm in a town with nothing to do, am I going to go sit in the agricultural building that we're going to wrestle in in nine hours and we think all day about our match? Or am I going to go explore this city that I'm in for a little while and see what I can get out of it? You know, sometimes boots on the ground and doing the weird stuff is the best way to explore these places. And at least I feel like I've been there. I mean, there are times in the pandemic where you're like, you're like, what's Los Angeles like? And you're like, we wore our mask and sat inside. John, I used to always find like, like quirky, weird little like, dive bars, places. Yeah. If you find parks somewhere, the different museums, there's so many different little things to explore, especially if you're like not in one of those like awesome, like landmark cities. I like finding the like weird other little subculture things like the Atlas Obscura of America is the best. Yeah. The weird stuff. Also when I'm on the road with Alley Catch and we're going to have a match, if we don't go to a weird brunch restaurant, we're probably not going to win. <laughs> I am looking for the strangest brunch restaurants in your neighborhood. And what we found is like the places we are more nervous to go into because they are kind of these backwoods places or they're in the country. The people there have been even nicer and they see you and they're like, you look a little weird. Let's find out more. It's never the claws you expect. It's more like, wow, I didn't know this world existed. You didn't know my world existed. We had a great breakfast. Let's have a big day. You get a feel for the real America. We're not as pointed at each other as everyone would make you think on the news most of the time. That's actually really true. Like there's sometimes when you can just go out. Like I remember I was like really busy doing something in New York one time and I was waiting to meet a girlfriend. She was running late and I popped into this little sidebar and this woman that was working the front door was like, 80 years old. She was working just for like a thing to do. And you put down your phone. You're not like looking at dumb shit that doesn't matter. And just to like interact with someone that you would never cross their path in any other circumstance. It's really nice to just have those conversations with people. And yeah, realize like, hey, maybe like not everyone is pure shit. It's quite nice. Yeah. And, and maybe there are experiences that I wouldn't expect these people to have too. You know, you think about like, Obviously, we have a lot of interactions day to day that are very surface. And even with wrestling, it's like there are a lot of surface. Hey, how are you? How is the road? How is the trip? But when you get a little deeper with anyone, everybody has these stories. Everybody has these experiences. You've just got to approach things with like kind of an open mind and, and be a little adaptable to get people to open up more. And maybe you don't want people to open up. Maybe that's your vibe. But with me, like once again, addicted to information, I want to talk to people. I want to know what's going on. Me too. Let's drudge up the stuff that you have suppressed. What am I, I not seeing here? It. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, that's actually honestly been my biggest revelation with doing this show is how many people that I've known for years. But when you're at wrestling shows, yeah, how much time do you really have to like, hey, let's have a real heart to heart that never happens. So when I can get people on this show and I'm like, oh, my God, I just like discovered all these other things about you that otherwise I wouldn't have known if they weren't open to me, just like poking all these holes in them, like, tell me this, tell me this. It's so cool to like really get to see those other side of people that I just thought that I already knew. It's pretty fascinating. There's a bigger version of it in wrestling, too, where like if you haven't met someone or if someone's getting really popular or if, you know, you're hearing about a person's matches all the time, you know, you want to be like, who's this person? Like, what's up with them? And then when you meet and interact with these people, you're like, oh, they're just people. They do the work. They're putting in the work. It's it's not like there's a different perception, but like it's harder to dislike a person once you've been around them and worked with them and listened to them and talked to them uh, versus what's thrown out at us about, you know, here's here's who's cool this week. Here's who's not cool. Here's who we like and don't like. This person's getting too over too fast. 
when you get close, it's like, we're all just people doing the work to do the thing. We all want the show to go well. And we want the fans to have a good time. There's no reason to have this animosity. And the more people learn that like, Number one, we're all on the same team backstage. Number two, the people you're in the ring with, they're kind, they're kind of on the same team as you too. It makes this job a lot easier and a lot you know, more accessible for people to enjoy themselves in versus, I mean, people know when they've been at shows and you're backstage, you're like, I don't know who to talk to or what to say or what to do. I never want that vibe around any of this because it's it's a hard enough job as it is. You know, it's a fantasy job, but it's hard. Yeah, it, you're right. And it, it can kind of feel that way walking in somewhere. Like, I mean, I even remember feeling that way a little bit because I've, only been in WWE. And then when I would go backstage with Johnson has at AEW, I'm like, where do I go? I don't work here. I don't know yeah, where am I like, supposed to stand here. <laughs> yeah, I know. Can I eat some of this food? Can I have this drink? Yeah, I'm like tiptoeing a little bit, even though that's like not the vibe, but I'm just like, I'm being respectful of everybody else's space because I know that it's not my space. Yeah. And you, yeah, I mean, you, you can go too far with it too. You don't want to be like, did you see Renee come in here and she ate all the, all the catering and kept throwing her stuff everywhere and said, Vince used to have somebody get the trash. No, like you don't want to be that person either, but it's a fine line, but I think it should be a less fine line in our minds. Like the second we can walk in and act like normal human beings, everybody gets a lot more done. Let's talk a little weird wrestling and the fun side of wrestling, because that's what draws me into wrestling. That's always what has made me a fan of it. I love the bullshit of wrestling. I always call it that affectionately. Um, my favorite wrestler is gold dust. That's what made me love everything about this world. Um, what drew you in? Someone tweeted the other the, today, they tweeted today that like, I love the in ring of wrestling and I don't like anything else. I was like, okay, that's fine. But Go do MMA because professional wrestling is every bit of it. It is the spectacle. It is the character. It is the uh, the old timey sort of circus show. Uh, and it is built on juxtaposition, which is my favorite word. I think we should we should make the word smaller because there's no other word that ends in to position. Just jux. Like, look at the jux of this match. And sometimes people forget that like juxtaposition is the king of wrestling. If there's not a question of how these things are going to work together or how these opposite forces are going to react, then I don't think it's as interesting. And so when you have the full show, yes, you should have the hardcore drama and you should have the, the athleticism, you should have the gasping from these big spots. But in the middle of all of this, if every single thing was dead serious, if every single thing was hardcore, then you're not going to get those moments of up and down, like the roller coaster. I think about, you know, a wrestling show and a match, they're both a lot like a roller coaster. We've heard that. But I also think that the second time you're going up the pulley, the first time you're like, I don't know what's going to happen. You get through those first runs, you get through a couple loops. That second pulley, when you felt some of it, is just as necessary to the ride as the first pulley. And almost more importantly, so pacing things down, taking things a little less seriously for a minute. Does every show need to be goofy top to bottom? Possibly. But Having that mix and being able to fill that role and kind of, you know, I've started doing seminars, which feels bizarre to me, but reminding people that like filling your utility for the night is more important than being the star every night. Some nights my utility is, hey, we've got a seven minute spot here that we need to ease the crowd out. We've got a really heavy segment coming up. Can you just do something easy, get it home? Cool. That's a great place for me. But sometimes it's, hey, we need to convey a little more emotion. We need to have a longer run. We need you to get a little more extreme. I want to find my place on the card to make sense and not ever feel like I'm just shoehorned to be there. Like, We've got all these matches. Now Effie has to have a full match. You know, it's going to be 20 minutes. You know, he's going to take all the time in the world versus we got to see him. He filled that role. It was in between two heavy moments. We love it heavy, but we need a little levity. 
I want to fill in any of those roles. And I historically have been the guy that you can go to on any show and go, can you add 15 or take off 10? I can fit any role there. And I think that having the spectacle, having the circus, it wouldn't be possible without that. It's funny. I was watching a show the other day and yeah, it did sort of feel like everything was 20 minutes, 20 minutes, 20 minutes, where it's like, it's hard. It's hard to consume that. It's like overwhelming of like, oh my gosh, sprinkle in a little bit of light for me. Like, let's just have a little fun for five, seven minutes, get that spot in there. Then, you know, get back to some of that heavy lifting. But that really is always the stuff that I love. Like, even when I was in WWE, I'm like, the wedding's coming up. Okay. Like, I love that shit. And I know that there's people that fucking hate it, but I love that goofy stuff. I think it's really fun. And I feel like it's really fun for the performers to get to have those moments as well, instead of it always just being like bumps, bumps, bumps to like, let's just like fuck around a little bit. It's also good for like moving these narratives forward. If the narrative was always being moved forward by just like we fought and here was the result. Now I want to fight you because of this. It's just not interesting to an audience. And when you have these little moments where you can pepper in like, yeah, he was too goofy in this match with him and now he wants revenge or, you know, he made fun of him in this segment and made him look like a fool and dumped slime all over him. There's at least some kind of uh, something to grip on to forward your character and, and have a reason for why they're there versus like, well, I'm fighting because I'm a pro wrestler and I want to prove I'm the best pro wrestler. That's like interesting for like two weeks. And then like, give me a little meat on the ribs. Yeah. Yeah. Let's back it up a little bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I love the, the ridiculous shit. Shout out to Gold Dust. Always my guy. Like, I'm really fascinated with taking ridiculous stuff very seriously because I always feel like in wrestling, there's always been those moments. Well, how important is that? Because if you don't take it seriously and make it that, it's going to fall so flat. You I think to, to a little story it. I did with a Midwest talent named Ace Perry, who's been on a few of my big gay brunches where I beat him in a match and won his soul. I won possession of his soul and it sort of fell by the wayside. Didn't like Millhouse and Bart do something like that at one point. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> Listen, the Simpsons did it and I'm going to do it yeah. again in the wrestling ring. But you know, I beat him with a roll up in this match that was pretty back and forth, a little silly, very effy. And all of a sudden the lights go out. Druids come out. I start speaking in tongues. I take his soul. Two years later, he says, I want the soul back. I said, I'll keep it protected. We do a very serious hardcore match at one of the big gay brunches in Tampa where, I mean, we're beating the crap out of each other. I think he hit me with a chair 10, 15 times. And I end up winning barely. And I say that he's ready and he has his soul back. This whole thing is stupid and ridiculous. But when we both take it dead seriously and you can't really see through it, it's the same sort of contempt and passion and wrestling violence that you would see in any other match for a championship. But this is for a man's soul. He lost it and he thought he didn't need it. I took his soul because if you don't have a soul, you can get a lot further in this business. I'll hang on to it for you, kid. There's a seriousness in it, but there's so much stupid around it that you go, we're going to take this dead serious and we're going to see how people play along. I feel like you do such a great job at swinging the audience into coming around on your character. Do you put a lot of thought into that or is it just that people watch it and there's like something really infectious about it that they just fall in love with? Or is it by design? It's a little by design. It's a little accidental. And part of it, I started leaning into the design because Kevin Kelly pulled me aside a long time ago at a PWX show and he was helping agent and he goes, I like it. I just, I've never seen anything online of you actually wrestling. And I was like, exactly. There shouldn't be anything online of me wrestling. I even did a highlight video that was like the top 12 moves of Effie. And it's just things I'm saying in between doing moves, being sassy. 
And so there was this idea sort of that like, before you get to me in person, you should have almost a negative thought about Effie. Everyone's talking about Effie. Everybody loves Effie. This Effie guy, what's so good about Effie? And then you get there in person and I sort of try to connect to each room. And this sounds big brain, but it's really not. I read the room. I check in with people. I see who's at the show. I see what the show has. And I try to fit in the best I can there. And because of that, like there's a different mindset that helps me excel versus like, Effie does these four moves. You can reverse this one. This will be my finish. We'll trade for falsies. It's like, maybe that's not what the room needs right now. Maybe we need something different. And so by reading the room and sort of working with the audience, instead of going like, this is what I am and this is what I do, there's a lot that's set in stone. I mean, the entrance is set in stone. That's me going through rituals to be comfortable in there. But every match to me should feel a little different. And I've argued with guys on this because I used to do stand-up comedy and they would say, if you don't come practice your sets, if you don't come do the same set, if you don't do the same set and get it right. And it was like, I don't need this restriction. In my world, I'm given a task. You have this much time with a person. There's a person who's going to win and a person who's going to lose. Here's what we would like to see out of it. How best can I use my creative skill to fit that task and to give the paying audience the best version of the show that they need while not detracting from the other parts of the show? You know, If I know the finish is a tombstone for the title at the end, I'm probably not going to spam a bunch of tombstones, but there's not a lot of people just stopping in front of someone on their knees. So I've usually got the clearance to at least open up the story with that. I, I want people to have strong opinions either way. You know, people have strong opinions on Cena, on Roman Reigns, on Hulk Hogan. They've all made a lot of money. And in my opinion, the bands and albums and music I've loved the most, I didn't really like at first. And then I got addicted to it. If you have a slight negative towards me at the beginning, I've got a way bigger chance of swinging you big to my side if you actually come around to it. Is there a moment or like, a fan that comes to mind that this person just hated you. And then by the end was like fully embracing you in the merch. Everybody loves Effie. I can point to entire cities in the state of Georgia (laughs) where like I've jokingly said it, but I've been like, if I was as over here, you know, now as I was in 2016, then Trump may not have won the election at all. I went into towns like, you know, I think of Pavo, Georgia, Pavo, Georgia hated me. We wrestled in an elementary school. I wrestled there all the time when I was starting out in my career, but as they watched me work, as they watched my personality, these very far right Republican South Georgia people were all of a sudden cheering their hearts out for a gay boy. They were buying t-shirts from the gay boy. He's wearing pantyhose. And it's this bizarre thing where wrestling fans, they have very strong opinions on everything, but when it comes to the curtain, they're kind of going to give it an objective look, no matter how ridiculous or crazy it is. And so By going in and going, I know you have preconceived notions about my wrestling, number one, but about who I am as a person, number two, if I can win them over with the wrestling and entertainment, it kind of starts to soften their mind to everything else a little bit. And I'm not being effie just to go out and be like, look, gay people are okay to be around. You don't have to be hateful. But if that's like a secondary thing that comes with it, just because I'm being myself and performing, that's awesome. I love seeing people turn around on it. And I mean, there are people who have yelled slurs at me and then spent money at the store a month later. It's a bizarre thing. How does that make you feel? Like, are you always happy that that's happened? Or is there still part of you that's like, well, fuck, you were really mean at the beginning. Like, I think I had to recognize like my privilege early. I'm like, I'm a six foot tall white dude who, if I really want to play it up, I can probably pass it straight. Not necessarily with my rat tail right now, but if I wanted to do it, I could. And so having strength, having ability, having the body I have, having the voice I have, being able to speak and being educated. I wanted to be at the front of kind of getting in front of people who are hateful. I think there are a lot of people in our community, they don't need that violence. They don't need that extra fight and they shouldn't have to yell or explain themselves all the time. But if I'm going to be 
up and angry anyway, then I want to fight it back. I want to be on the front of it. And if I can change your mind with taking things a little less seriously, easing you in versus coming right with a knife right away. I don't mind demeaning myself almost a little bit to make sure the bigger, the bigger picture is seen. And it's, I mean, it's simple stuff like talking to someone. I had someone during a show and they used a slur against me and I finished the match and then I got in their face in front of everyone. And I said, I hope you have a gun in the car because if I find you outside the building, I'll tear you up. This is very aggressive in front of everyone. But then I pulled him to the side and we talked and he cried and he had a conversation with me that was very long. And it's not necessary for me as a performer to have to come educate you and pull you aside and be your mom. But if I can do that and it stops someone else from having to deal with that in the future, or if they leave with a better understanding, I think that that's worth my effort and worth my time. And yeah, the reactive, you know, I'm going to kick your ass in the parking lot. It's a good little threat to let them know it's serious, but actually kicking someone's ass in the parking lot, they're just going to hate gay people more. They might come back with a weapon next time. I have the ability to get in front of it. And I'm willing to see if through gentle conversation, we can get somewhere or through very powerful conversation, we can get somewhere. But I don't want to leave something hanging and just go, that's just how they are. That's who they are. Because I think everybody with a little education can come around to at least being polite enough to interact with everyone. Football fans, check out the Three and Out podcast with John Middlecoff only on the Volume Podcast Network. John brings his unique perspective as an ex-NFL scout to the Volume to break down all the news around the NFL and college football. Whether you're looking for game predictions, coaching searches, the ins and outs of the NFL front office, even an occasional golf tip, John has you covered. Download Three and Out with John Middlecoff, only on the Volume Podcast Network. We're doing the sessions, obviously. John is here. Can we start? We're doing it. This is the show. You're hard to talk to anyways, because you're either clearing your throat, eating food, you've got a sucker, you've got gum, you've got dip, you've got these fake beers. Fake beers, for the record. Yeah, I'm trying to get a sponsorship, so I brought this up here. Oh, well, then get the, got to get the label Athletic in there. Athletic Brewing. Athletic Brewing, hi. <laughs> it's a very good product. A lot of, uh, like, endurance athletes are into this because it's like a non-alcoholic beer, but it's got carbs, water, and hops itself is like a natural anti-inflammatory, allegedly, hmm. and, like, natural electrolytes. So it's better than a sports drink, really. So a lot of, uh, you know, the triathletes and stuff, I guess they drink this stuff while they're training and like stuff. So they're very, and these are very good because all the craft beer snobs like got into non-alcoholic beers now. So like there's some of no, them. No, there like, actually is like, some, yeah. I like the Heineken Zeros. I really like. Yeah, and those are um, okay. yeah, the, the uh, athletic lights. I really like. Yeah, those are okay. I like the free wave and the run wild. This yeah, one's yeah. upside down. Yeah, so give me a fucking sponsorship, athletic. Let's go. I'm... Send us some. We drink it yeah. all the time. Yeah. Um, does it feel Foods. to you like not drinking, but having these? What is like that substitution like for you to have that in, instead of like not drinking? I don't even classify them in the same thing. I mean, these are delicious. But it, I mean, in the sense of like just having something in your hand more or less, because like I feel like that's a part of the thing of not drinking too. And like my only relationship to that is like when I got pregnant and was like, Oh, I can't drink anymore. Okay. What do I do with my hands for a second? It feels like a little bit awkward. And then I would either have a pop or tea or whatever, but like, does it feel like that to you? 
maybe to a degree, I guess. I don't think of it as like a substitute for alcohol. That's why a lot of people would tell you. I, I heard a guy saying that, like, yeah, those are bad. Like anything that's like a uh, like a substitution is like a bad thing because it leads you to stay in the habit to me trying to like break a habit whether that be like cigarettes or whatever and nothing is one size fits all for everybody maybe it would be a bad idea for somebody but i like them they were actually they're like my only thing that i do that's like a ritual of like i don't go to fucking aa or nothing that kind of shit's not for me i don't like journal or fucking go to therapy or groups or do this or that like I don't I don't really do anything the only thing that I do is like I make it a point to go grab these athletics as long as I can find them if not fine you can always find some brand but the athletics are the best because you can get them at Whole Foods so now I'm like fucking Brian and I ate Whole Foods before every show (laughs) get like food for the night and uh I pick up the athletics before the show keep them cold and it's what I drink after a match so they used to like get some type of alcohol, cold beer or like whiskey or whatever, like pretty soon after a match, you know, it was just like fucking habit, like forever. Cold beer at the end of the night after a match where you're like, fuck yeah, that ruled. And you're all sweating and fucking pulling blood out of your eye or whatever and high fiving and talking about the match and drinking the beer kind of puts a button on the end of the night or whatever. So like, that's kind of my like, okay, this is the button on the end of the night. For me, the purpose that it serves is it like, it's a giant blinking reminder. Like, I don't want to forget that, like, you know, you're not supposed to be drinking, right? That would be what fucked me would be like, I just forgot. It wouldn't be like, oh, everything sucks and I'm depressed. So I'm going to go drink. It would be everything is going so good. and Everybody's happy and whatever. And I just kind of like, ah, whatever. Yeah, sure. And then before I knew what I was drinking, I don't want that to happen. So I go out of my way to like, I have my little fucking six pack of non-alcoholic beers. It's like my little thing. Because it's a giant blinking reminder that you're not drinking. A non-alcoholic beer is such a ridiculous thing to drink. And it's so hard to go out of your way to find a fucking Whole Foods before the show <laughs> and find these very specific things. And like if somebody asks you, like, what are you drinking? You got to go, let's look at non-alcoholic beer. Like, so it's this giant blinking reminder that you're not drinking. It's the one thing I do that's like, okay, this is my ritual to keep me on track. I didn't think that we were going to start the show and like just get into like that. This was I like- didn't even know we started. You just like, before I knew it, we were starting. <laughs> I know. I kind of. And it kind of feels weird because I haven't done an interview. In, like, a well, I know, but that's time. what I was going to say. Just, you, before I knew it, we were recording. And then you're just like, so tell me about let's just get like. <laughs> I, I talk about you're drinking so Gotcha interview is what this is. But I didn't. So this is like a weird interview for me, too, because first of all, you are always my hardest interview of all the people I've interviewed. You are the toughest person for me to interview because I know all of your shit. You don't like to talk about a lot of things. And since the last time you were on a lot of very personal things have happened, it's been like, God, look at. okay. so it was just Nora's birthday. It is crazy to think of like Nora was born to like where we're at now, a whole year that has passed and like the things that have gone on in that year. I mean, from a professional standpoint, I mean, what a year you've had pretty much your entire time with AEW has just been like bucket list, bucket list, bucket list. Like you're doing so many amazing, great things. 
But then on the other side of things, you're having these other like personal things that went down and then having that be like so public and then bouncing off of those things. It's been a very uh, strange year. It's been a crazy year. Like everything is different than it was a year ago than it was six, eight months ago. Yeah. I'm in a totally different headspace. We live in a different place. Now we have a, a child, which is wild. We didn't have a child before. God, she's cute. Now though, we have huh? this strange creature crawling around the house. That's now obsessed she's with you. Starting to do little steps. She may walk in any minute. It's wild. I thought like when I stopped drinking, it'd just be like, oh, okay, I'm just going to feel like a million dollars and yeah. just fucking kid. But it doesn't work like that when you've been drinking and using drugs to, you know, excess more or less going on you know like 18 years your body yeah, but you've not been on drugs though just to like clarify well i mean and not me but anybody you know yeah I mean? like, okay uh, yeah i was just making or whatever clear. it is you know what i mean your yeah. uh, your body needs time to like adjust you know what i mean when i first uh wrestled again so i came back in january and it was weird like uh just being in the ring was weird it felt strange like i came back and did a promo and now it was cool because I didn't have to do anything physical. I just got chalked. I was like super relaxed. So my first match back, you think it's just going to be like, oh, okay, well, now you're sober. So you're just going to feel like a million dollars. But it doesn't really work like that. And like, I was weird. It was like my legs were in quicksand. I didn't have any adrenaline. Not that I didn't have any adrenaline so much as like I wasn't nervous or like, I, and it's hard to put into words, but it used to be like this big, long, giant process to get ready to go out and do a match or wrestle. It's like this transformation to be ready to go to the ring. And I think people who probably don't, you know, spend their lives, you know, like partying too much or whatever, probably like take for granted just waking up in the morning and feeling good. I feel like I'm cheating. Mm-hmm. Like the novelty hasn't fully worn off. Of like not having a hangover. Yeah. Yeah. Just like waking up and, being like, okay, like I don't have to worry about like being massively dehydrated or feeling like crap or whatever. Like for me, it's almost like, oh, I got like a cheat code or something, you know? But like that first match, I felt terrible. Like I just felt like off, like it was weird. Mm-hmm. I can't really explain it. Like I was just like chemically imbalanced and like it was strange. And then like it got a little better the next match and the next match. I finally wrestled Brian at a pay-per-view and we more or less just went to the ring like the first time I ever met him just kind of got in the ring and just wrestled then I kind of started feeling my mojo again yeah I was like but it took me like a month or something how much did that scare you to like have that feeling of like oh my god am I gonna get back to getting that mojo like who is this new person that I am all of a sudden oh yeah it was stressful I was like oh no do I suck now this sucks (laughs) right right then uh very quickly got uh Got my mojo back. So it's somewhere in the middle of that match with Brian, I think something snapped back. It's hard to explain. Got and then it's been like better and better. Now I'm having a pretty good year, man. Having like yeah. a ton of fun, having a bunch of really good matches. Uh, starting to like really put everything together as far as like the style I want to do. The style I kind of even was picturing like three something years ago, like while I was hurt. And WWE after freaking worked every night for two months with a torn tricep. Yeah. 
and I was off. And I've talked about this before. You know, I was like in rehab when I rehab for the tricep or whatever. When I realized like I wanted to leave and started watching other wrestling and stuff. But even like way back then, when I was picturing what I wanted to do and what I wanted to become in the ring, it was it looked something like what you're seeing now mm-hmm. all that long ago and it's been a lot so it's been like you know evolving in the ring and constantly trying new stuff and getting better and you know you always keep learning and keep growing well, and keep i don't getting think a better. lot of people do though like i actually want to like give you credit for that because i don't think a lot of people always want to grow and work and try to get better. I think sometimes people think that they like got the keys to the castle and that they have it figured out and you become really stagnant. And I think that's something that you've been awesome at is not being stagnant. You are not a standstill person. You got to constantly like learning and growing. And I mean, you got to evolve with the business. You see a lot in this business, people who are still stuck in whatever year they were that they come from they're stuck in the 80s or the 70s or the 2000s or whatever it is when like the business is totally different than it was even 10 years ago i was talking about this with uh some of the kids and i talked about it a little bit after some of the kids you old man yeah man (laughs) dude but it's wild well they were just asking just like you know just talking to some of these kids that are training like less than a year at the gcw show in new york And it kind of hit me while I was talking to them because I'm like, I don't really have any answers for anything. You know, you know, it's just like experience. You just got to get experience. I I don't know. That's my my answer. When people ask me about anything, I go, I don't know. Get experience. Because it's one of the things I said to him was like, there is no one right or wrong answer as far as pro wrestling is concerned to almost anything. I said, everything I tell you could turn out to be crap. If somebody tells you this is the way it is and this is the way it needs to be done and this is right, they might be really smart, but take all that with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. Make your own decisions. Uh, use your own brain. Look at the people. What are the people into? What's working? What's not? Because I was brought up on a bunch of certain stuff. I think I talk about this in the book, you know, like. Yeah, you had I a was, book come out in this last year. Oh, like, yeah, that's a whole God, there's so many like the layers audio, to the, what this year has been. The like, audio book just came out, man. Yeah. That's over, man. <laughs> I'm so sick of that book. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm too close to it now. No, I'm, I hate it. I never want to read it again. But, uh, you know, I, I came up in the Les Thatcher, you know, system of like getting caught talking about your match before the show was like a sign of weakness. Mm-hmm. You know, it was all about calling the ring, like, oh, these kids in the ring two hours before the show talking about their spots <laughs> uh, and hardcore wrestling quote unquote or whatever was garbage and all this and that. And, you know, that's how I, that I was taught that this is the way. And in WWE, they tell you a lot of stuff. You got to do this and this and this. This is the way it needs to be done. There's all this stuff that's just wrong. This is like totally wrong. And it's demonstrably wrong now with AEW on a national level. You know what I say? Oh, you, word. you're doing too much or you're not selling grab a hold you know all this fucking shit like there's so many matches i have now that like that i literally couldn't do in wwe mm-hmm. vince would just flip his lid for instance like i don't know off the top of my head like me and eddie versus the young bucks great match guarantee you vince would hate it he'd be like oh you're not selling you're doing too much here or whatever less would probably hate it you know for similar reasons because there's so many different styles yeah. you know things in japan work that you know somebody would look at and go that's stupid that doesn't make sense but in the 
in the universe the of Japanese psychology, it works in yeah. in the context of deathmatch psychology. Some stuff works. There's like all kinds of God, different. I really want to do a podcast with you that's all on deathmatch psychology. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, okay. and that you know, that's it. There's all these different, and lucha has got its own thing. I mean, think of like in the in the universe of WWE, Santino's Cobra <laughs> yeah. could knock a 300 pound man out cold, and people believe it and know it, and it's part of that construct mm-hmm. you know what i mean so like there's no no right or wrong and you know you can take from everybody but don't let anybody tell you this is the way just Doesn't keep learning you know it's what i told yeah. them there's so many shows now like the gcw audience the aew audience i think on the whole is like this too uh defy wrestling like mm-hmm. all these places where i mean i'm talking about this type of specific indie show where like where like it's almost more like a concert where everybody comes and they know the band and they know their songs and they come to have a good time and they want it. You want to they, see they the want to be there like a, yeah. like a defy or GCW is more like going to a concert, you know, in a lot of ways. It's not like a bunch of people who are like, all right, what, what is this wrestling stuff we're watching? No, they're like super passionate wrestling fans and they watch everything and they know who everybody is and they understand wrestling on such a deeper level than fans on a general indie show and us first coming up like it's so different it's so awesome and it's such a pleasure to be on a show like that i'm like man some of these freaking kids don't even know how good they got it now like this is so awesome just to have such a good relationship like it's such a pleasure to wrestle in front of those fans and yeah. i'm not trying to be like some kind of uh I'm not trying to be corny when i say it it's just it's awesome i think a lot of the mainstreams stereotypical feeling of a wrestling fan would be would be something that's not what it actually is wrestling fans on the whole today are so smart and so educated and so passionate as much as anything like uh fans of music or movies or comic books and you know kind of people that say like oh there's a bunch of nerds or whatever it's like now they're just smart and passionate and uh, fuck off. Like, it's a really <laughs> yeah, stupid way to look at it. fuck off, like, yes. Uh, but it, it's no different than, yeah. you know, comic books or movies or anything yeah. that people are passionate about. Yeah. You know? Like, I'm one of these fans. Yeah. So we all just get to do this together. Let's take it back to, like, the beginning, though, of you going into rehab. What was your headspace leading up to that? Night sweats. I've never seen crazy anything like it in sweats, my life. Crazy nightmares. My chemicals are all imbalanced. Yeah. Wacky mood swings. You can attest to all that. You know, yeah, when I no, say it hasn't been easy, you know, like the not drinking part is easy. It's not like I have some desire to drink. I have no desire to drink. It's I can't even I can't even imagine drinking right now. Like, yeah. It's just a, so beyond like like that. The not drinking is easy. We'll stop drinking. Yeah. I wanted to stop drinking for a long time. I was trying to quit drinking for a long time. Mm-hmm. Just the uh, dealing with all the after effects of what happens to you physically when your body goes through this crazy yeah. metamorphosis trying to re- calibrate itself has not been easy. You know? so- and I'm doing, I'm on national television while I'm going through these fucking problems, you know? It's actually so like, it's like in front of yeah. everybody, it sucks. I mean, a lot of people in my position would have been, uh, would have stayed in rehab a lot longer, uh, would have stayed in hiding a lot longer. You know, yeah. I was 
three months later, the one therapist chick I had straight up told me to retire. Yeah. <laughs> she was like, start a wrestling school, train some kids. She's like, you know what the problem is? You got to get out of there. I was like, I don't think it's that. But I mean, I was on, I went in on Halloween night and I was back on TV in January. Yeah. But, but I'm just saying, you know. It's great, but there are those up It makes me downs. a little self-conscious, you know. Sure. Uh, feel like everybody's staring at me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But also I also I kind of don't give a fuck. That was a big part about uh going to rehab was kind of the uh the relief of it that like now there's nothing to hide. Kind of figure I didn't know how people's reaction was gonna be. Like if people You had gonna, your phone off for a really long time too. Months. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you were in airplane mode for a long time. That was great. So when you first go into rehab they uh, take your phone which sucked for me yeah I had to after, wait for you to, like call me from a pay phone every day good thing i remembered your number honestly right they take your phone and after however long of you know good behavior they'll eventually give it back to you so you can have your phone in rehab so one day they called me in the front and they're like you can have your phone back and i was just feeling really good about everything it was like so happy not having a phone and i made a weird face and she's like you don't have to take it. We can just keep it here and locked up if you want. And I was like, you just keep it. Yeah, and, I, and I went back the whole rest of the time. Yeah. Even when I left and went home, when I went into rehab, I lived in Vegas. When I got out of rehab, I didn't live in Vegas anymore. Well, talk about going like <laughs> so you I didn't, just went straight to the airport. You yeah, you didn't even you didn't even book your ticket on your phone. I just went to the airport old school with my ID and no phone. I had my phone, but I turned it off. I just, I like, one, even when I got out, and I didn't turn on my phone. And I didn't turn it on for a long time. And I realized, like, how great it feels. The freedom like, in the that. Like, the air movie. is sweeter. Sounds and sights and everything are better. Like, and you don't, have a, you don't have a TV. So it's just a room with a bed in it and a chair, a bathroom, no radio, no phone, no computer, nothing. You know, there's, like, a little library where you can read books. You can take them back to your room. That's about it. And your sleep is all messed up. Mm -hmm. Sleep is really hard to come by there. And you're, it's still hard for you to sleep. And you're up, you know, at seven in the morning, you start all the activities and stuff, you know. So sleep is really hard to come by. And they come burst in your room like every hour to make sure you're not dead. So it's a lot of just sitting there staring at the ceiling, staring at the wall, you know. But it was great. Being disconnected eventually felt so great. I like, bet. Really quickly. Yeah. But I was like, I don't want to go That's back. That's a detox. I don't want to need shit. Yeah. I highly recommend it. And people couldn't fathom it. A lot of people couldn't fathom not being like tied to their phone. But like, we didn't have cell phones till how long ago, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We went a I long mean, time. People lived phone. for a long time before phones were invented. You can do it. I promise Let's you. Let's talk about before you went into rehab. Like, what was the buildup? And for you, I guess like the breaking point or realizing like I have to go and get help. I mean, you said a second ago that like you wanted to quit drinking. It was something you were trying to do and wanted to do, but you, you had to go to rehab. Nothing bad happened. Yeah. I want to make that clear on my end too. Is that right. like, yeah, nothing ever. I think people thought like maybe something went down. Yeah. I didn't like, go to no. jail. Nothing. Just like, I just couldn't stop. Mm -hmm. I was trying for like the longest time which sounds stupid if you don't know you just go just stop drinking here's the thing too that i think that i didn't really know until i started dealing with this but uh 
but I don't know if you never had to really look into it, you just might not know is uh, if you just stop drinking, if you drink a lot, you can die. Like I may have always drank, drink beer all night, back in the day, whatever, sleep two hours, go out, wrestle 25 minutes. Oh, you were like a high functioning alcoholic. Yeah. Yeah, I was just after the show, just get fucked up. You know what I mean? Wake up the yeah, next, wake up the next morning, sweat it out. Never yeah. had any problems. At some point, it was literally the first time I tried to stop, and I was experiencing uh, for the first time alcohol, at least that I remember, alcohol withdrawal, which is as bad as withdrawal from just about anything. And it's dangerous and a lot more dangerous in a lot of ways. The first thing that told me this and that they're like, yeah, just quitting drinking cold turkey, you know, at a certain threshold, which I was at, it's the worst thing you can do. It's the most dangerous thing you can do. You can just go into cardiac arrest and die. Or what's really common is you have seizures. Something really bad can happen from that. That's what happened to cats. I was terrified of that for the longest time. The feeling of it is like crushing physical anxiety. Not anxiety like you're nervous about something. The physical feeling of anxiety, like breathing's messed up, like you're like twitchy, like they call it the shakes because, you know, you're literally like shaking. And there are times it'd be like a TV and I feel like people are going to think that I'm like on drugs because I'm sober. So uh, a lot of times we'd be talking to people or doing whatever, like have a little shot or a little flash or whatever just to mellow out because I'd be like, people are going to think that I'm on crack right now. So I was leveling myself out for like the longest time and that gets really tiring so like every night especially like tvs was like the longest days because i'd be having this like horrible like alcohol withdrawal tv i was terrified i was gonna have a seizure on live tv or on a plane like a plane would have to land so to avoid that happening on a plane i would just i would never be at an airport on a plane without being nicely buzzed if I didn't have time to like hit the bar before I get on the plane or it's like morning or the bars are closed or something, you know, whatever. I'd just be sitting on the plane, like, come on with the cart. Come on. Come on with the drinks. Like, yeah. yeah. Cause I'm yeah. like, I didn't know that about I the mean, planes. I knew that with the other stuff, yeah. but I, I never thought about that. I was a real, I was, a, I was real scared of like something catastrophic like that happening, you know? Yeah. So I was like really worried something like that was going to happen. And I just like, it was getting, I was just so exhausted with it because everything has to like revolve around staying level and like I couldn't just like I couldn't enjoy wrestling because I was just I was so worried about that and battling all day because you can't go on tv and wrestle fucked up I had to be like sitting there worried going through withdrawal where you know it's like as soon as I got done like it's like this big wave of relief like okay got through another day got through another tv and didn't have a seizure and die on live tv sweet so I immediately started getting loaded Cause now it's been however long with it. So, and then you just end up drunk again. <laughs> so yeah. it's like this never ending cycle of hell. Like it was, there was like months, absolute hell. It wasn't like, okay, I'm all stressed out and I had problems. And like, it wasn't like, okay, I need to go to rehab and talk about my feelings. It was, I'm going to die. It can happen anybody man like there's 100%. i don't i don't know what the threshold is but like once you start feeling like that uh those withdrawal symptoms be it like alcohol or pills or whatever it is that's when you're in trouble doing whatever you're doing to normalize yourself you know that that you know it's a it's a bad slope 
So, so the night that you had to go in, you had come home. It was Halloween night, and that's when it was kind of like, okay, this has to happen right now. Yeah, yeah, it all happened. We were moving the next week. It was like, oh my god, everything was happening all at once. That was like a fucking trip. That was nuts. Yeah, like a lot of shit was happening at once. Like, because we were getting ready to move. So we're dealing with all that. I was trying to sell a house, trying to buy a house. And the whole time I'm just, it's getting really bad. And I'm just trying to stay level, you and know. We have a four-month baby. Yeah, and we just had a baby. And I'm like, that's when I first tried to stop, you know, before she even came. And then yeah. that just made it worse. Like, and uh, yeah, you can't be drunk when you're holding the baby, you know. No, so no. it was like obvious before the baby even got here that I was like, you gotta stop drinking. Thanks so much for hanging out with us, guys. Uh, Hopefully you enjoyed the week, enjoyed the best of the sessions. You guys can hear the full-length interviews um, anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Just uh, download them, give them a listen, give them a like, a review. And if you want to see what you're hearing, head on over to my YouTube page. Just search Renee Paquette. It's all up there, and you can see us talking having this interview, having a hangout. It's all up on there. Um, And that's been like a really great, cool, growing community. So uh, I'm really enjoying the hangouts on the YouTube as well. So we can see you guys over there. And jump in the comment section, you know. Jump in, chime in, leave a comment. Uh, We like filtering through them all, reading about them. Maybe even like, I don't know, some constructive criticism if you had it. We're all ears. God, did I open up a can of worms by saying that? I don't know. Be nice. Be cool in there. This has been The Sessions.